Hello and welcome to The Writer's Mindset with me, Christina Adams. And me, Ellie Betts. Each week, we're here to bring you the strategies and advice you need to achieve your writing and publishing goals. This week, we're talking to Jenna Morassi about YouTube for authors. Jenna Moresi is a best-selling author of dark fantasy and science fiction, as well as a YouTube sensation with hundreds of thousands of followers. The Saviour's Champion, the first novel in the Saviour's series, was voted one of the best books of all time by Book Depository. Born and raised in Silicon Valley, Jenna spends her free time laughing until her face hurts with her goofball fiancé and with her tiny dog. I spoke to Jenna about how authors can use YouTube to market their books, meet other writers, and how they can build their confidence for going on video which is not an easy thing to do so i look forward to hearing more shout out to all our subscribers who help support us on patreon as a patron you'll get early access to episodes bonus content and our undying gratitude for supporting all the hard work that goes into creating these episodes to inspire and motivate you thanks so much for all our patrons for helping us to keep creating content if you'd like to join them you can visit patreon.com forward slash writers mindset So it is the start of a new season and we're going to be doing something a little bit different. So rather than writing updates because they got a tiny bit repetitive after a while, we want to go back to doing a little bit of a question or a quiz at the start of each episode. Question or a quiz? A question or a game. That's a better way of putting it. And today we're going back to our Room 101 because I liked Room 101. And our Room 101 this week is for the writing process. So Ellie, what part of the writing process would you put in your Room 101? If it were possible, and I wish it were, I would like to put into Room 101 that really annoying thing I do where I forget the most basic of words, mid-writing. It's infuriating. People do it all the time, right? It's not just me. Not just you. I can't think of an example right now, but it'll be something very obvious. There'll be a word I use in everyday life. Nothing's fantastic, but I can't remember what it is. I tend to, when this happens, I are like... Highlight it in Scrivener and add a little comment so that I can just put, come back to this later and I'll try and haphazardly describe what I'm trying to say. But it still breaks the flow a little bit. I think what you're doing is much more beneficial to your process, though, because it breaks up the flow much less than if you're then going into a search engine and looking at what is the name for this or how do you spell that? Because that is very, very disruptive. And you're going from a creative skill then to something which is much more analytical or logical and also just reliant on a search engine rather than your own brain. And it's hard to express how much that breaks up the flow because it can take you then 20 minutes to get back into that state of flow. So if you've only got 20 minutes to write, you've disrupted that entire writing session. Exactly. Changing um, processes like that, I would liken to like writing your driving forwards and then to look up something on Google, you've got to take it into reverse and turn around again and just keep reversing. And then to try and get your brain to go back into gear in the right way, it's not that easy. You can't do it on the flick of a switch. It takes time, not probably 20 minutes to go in and out of the first hopefully but it does take time and it really does break the flow you can't just keep going as easily so i just leave a comment and i come back to it but it's very frustrating and i would absolutely put that into room 101 if i could can we just take a moment to appreciate the fact you made a car analogy 
down. <laughs> the one thing I never wanted to do. <laughs> no, it's just, record, it doesn't take 20 minutes to switch gears, even in an old car. It's uh, It just made sense. It just popped up into my head. That really wasn't planned. I'd planned it. I wouldn't have used a car. <laughs> what would you put into Room 101 in terms of writing process? I would put reading my own work into room 101 and this includes proofreading it includes copy editing it includes needing to self-edit like the actual process of making the changes for the most part I don't hate but actually going through my own work a lot of the time particularly the more familiar with it I get the more I hate it and for me like I really enjoy the more creative stages when you're planning and plotting and writing and even kind of early edits but then the more nitpicky the process gets the more it irritates me so from that moment that I um convert my book into an ebook and then read it on my tablet that's when my brain starts to see it a little bit differently and it starts to be much more of an internal battle to force myself to go through it and I have to do those things because I need to make sure it resembles a book before I send it to beta readers and obviously before readers get it as well And that's really hard, but it's such an important part of the process that there is really no way of avoiding it. Because yes, you can outsource copy editing and proofreading if you want to, but you've still got to self-edit even if you outsource editing because you're going to pay a fucking lot more for editing if you've done a crap job yourself. Yes, I've heard you... I don't want to say complain. I've heard you um, whinge many times about... Uh, How is whinge <laughs> any better than complain? It's not. I was trying to make out like you were whinging for no reason. Uh, I, do. <laughs> I, I do that all the you, time. Trying to make you sound worse than it is. <laughs> it's. Um, I know it's hard and it's something I'm not looking forward to because I've not enjoyed going through my shorter pieces, let alone having to go through a whole book. I'm not very good at proofreading my own stuff so I know I'm going to struggle with that so give it a few more months and I might be moving that to room 101 as well all right with that all said shall we go join Jenna I think we should with me today is Jenna Moresi welcome to the writer's mindset thank you so much for having me I'm super excited to be here so for anyone who hasn't heard of you can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do please sure my name is Jenna Moresi I am a number one best-selling dark fantasy action adventure romance author Uh, the series I'm currently working on is called the savior series Um, the first book in the series the savior's champion was rated one of the best books of all time by book depository which is something I will never share shut up about for the rest of my life because it pretty much made my life it's like the highlight of my life and hey, you've got bragging rights for that I think I, think <laughs> I know like out. like it's funny because it was you know maybe a year ago and I'm still like on that high like oh my gosh this happened you know so it's, it's super exciting um outside of writing or kind of uh, adjacent to writing I am also a YouTuber um I host a channel called Writing with Jenna Moresi that has um over 260,000 subscribers where I give writing advice I give marketing advice I give publishing advice and I do uh you know funny videos where I talk about the tropes I love the tropes I hate you know pretty Pretty much everything I say has a very uh, big dollop of sarcasm associated with it. So if you want straightforward writing advice and you want to laugh along the way, it's the channel for you because it's awesome and I'm there. So yeah. (laughs) And you can't go wrong with sarcasm and dogs. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh yeah. We do have dog uh, cameos. Uh, my, my little, uh, tiny floof of a dog buttercup. She likes to show up for a lot of the videos and she's a delight. She is the, she is the softness to my, um, sarcasm, you know, the soft side. (laughs) And she's gorgeous. Thank you. Yeah. She's a, she's a cute little thing. So tell us the story of your YouTube channel then. How did it come about? What made you decide to create one? Well, um, it happened in a weird way, as many things in my life go. I, you know, I wanted to be a writer since I was six years old. And when I was in my mid 20s, I started writing what eventually became my debut novel. I was working full time in finance at the time, and I was writing the book on the side. And my goal was if I could just make this, you know, like a lucrative side job, I would feel content, I'd be happy. And, uh, while I was doing that, I also had a blog going on where I was, you know, sharing my, you know, writing experience like a lot of writers do. Um, and I was also offering critiques because I had been writing for at that point for decades. And so, you know, I had a lot of insight to give. And while I was blogging and doing those critiques, a lot of people would tell me, you know, you should create a YouTube channel because you got that wit, you have that way of delivering the advice, you know, you'd be really good at it. And I was like, absolutely no way. <laughs> there's there's no way that you will get this face on the internet, like most writers, I'm an introvert. There's absolutely nothing about it that appealed to me. Um, so people have been telling me that and I just laughed in their face and was like, no, hard pass. <laughs> Fast forward toward the end of uh, me putting together that debut novel toward the end, not the end. Um, but uh Unfortunately, my fiance suffered a major spinal cord injury. I ended up quitting my job in finance to become his caregiver and um, had to put the blog on hold, had to put the you know book on hold for a little bit and focus on his health. And uh, when you go through something like that, it kind of changes your perspective on life. You know, you, you get an idea of, you know, how impermanent your existence is. You know, you don't have a lot of time on this planet and you never know when you're going to go. So you might as well make the most of it. Um, at that point, my blog had plateaued. It had a very small audience. I wasn't really enjoying working on it. So by the time I was able to get back into writing again, I said, you know what? I'm just going to give it a shot. I'm going to try YouTube, see how it works, whatever. Just give it a shot. Uh, My goal was 100 subscribers. And then um, it took like six months to get there. And once I got 100 subscribers, I was like, okay, I'm going to be really daring and, you know, really racy and go for 1000 subscribers. And if I hit that, my dreams will have come true. And that'll be amazing. And um, fast forward to now I have 260,000 subscribers. Basically, I I got to a point in my channel where, you know, I only had 100 subscribers, not a lot of people were watching. And I had been trying to create these very professional videos, very like neat and tidy. Um, and I was like, no one's watching. I'm just going to be myself. I'm just going to be funny and goofy and whatever, because no one's here anyway. And once I released that first video where I was being authentically me, I went from 100 subscribers to like 9,000 within a week. And since then it's skyrocketed. And now um, what I had hoped would be a lucrative side career is my full-time job. And I'm making triple the money that I made back when I worked in finance. So it's a very, very strange turn of events. That's so cool though, because video is hard. It is honest. (laughs) It's very hard. And like I, like I said, I had no, I 
literally thought 100 subscribers and I'll be pleased. I had no idea that it would blow up to this level. Did you have any sort of like background or experience in creating videos before you started out? No, not at all. Um, I just, you know, researched. I paid attention to what was out there. Um, One of the things that really helped me was that I researched other writers on YouTube and I could only find two and they were both teenagers with very small platforms. And I thought, you know what, if these teenagers who are like half my age have the guts to do this, then I have no excuse. You know, look at them. They're putting themselves out there and I'm scared. You know, no. And I, I paid attention to what was working in the videos that I liked in terms of the quality and the editing and things like that. But like I said, I started off trying to be very prim and professional. And it wasn't until I started being authentically myself and, you know, just being goofy and straightforward that uh, my channel really hit its stride. And um, yeah, it, I I really didn't know what I was doing, but somehow it all came together. I think that speaks volumes because I've spoken to other like YouTubers and marketers before, and they said that their stuff really took off when they embraced who they were and kind of did stop being this kind of stereotypical professional person and projecting Mm -hmm. the person they think people want them to be rather than just being who they are. I completely agree. And that's something that I come across a lot now that I've been doing this for a while. um, Now there's a lot of writers on YouTube and sometimes they will talk to me and say, Jenna, I'm doing what you're doing. You know, I'm dropping the F-bombs. I'm being snarky and I'm not getting any views. And I ask them, well, is that your personality? Do you do you drop F-bombs and are you snarky? And they're like, well, no, but you do that. And I'm like, I do that because that's how I talk. (laughs) You know, that's how I am with, you know, my fiance. That's how I am with my friends. That's how I am with my family. Like, I'm just being me. If that's not you, people can read phoniness a mile away, you know? So you got to be authentic to who you are. People relate to that, you know? The reason I have these views is not because I have appropriately timed F-bombs. It's because people (laughs) are like, this is someone who is being herself and doesn't care, you know? And you just you just got to embrace who you are and it makes such a huge difference with having a channel that attitude of just to put it bluntly no fucks given Mm -hmm. is infectious i think though and it draws people in because i think people want to be like that but they Mm -hmm. are afraid to be like that and so it's just this kind of internal push and pull Exactly. And I mean, like, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a potty mouth. I've been that way since I was a teenager. It just, it just flows forth. I can't help it. Um, but not everyone who watches my videos are like that. You know, there are a lot of prim and proper, you know, very like PG type people who watch my videos, but they like that. This is, you know, just me being me and that I, I guess, you know, have the courage to be me regardless, you know, because there are a lot of people who don't like the way I talk in my channel. You know, there's a lot of people who don't like that. I am a straightforward woman on the internet. You know, there's a lot of people who leave meme comments and things like that. Um, and there's, you know, 10 times more people who appreciate that someone is out there, you know, being themselves. Um, it kind of gives people permission and courage to be themselves, whatever variation of that you know, of themselves, they are, you know, just it gives you people permission to embrace who they are, even if they're uncomfortable with it. How do you handle those negative comments? Because some people can get really. I can't even think of a way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, the thing is, is it's like if you're on YouTube, you're going to get hate comments no matter what. If you're a woman on YouTube, just maximize that significantly. And then if you are an outspoken woman on YouTube, it's just game over. Um, You know, I've received 
um, death threats, rape threats, um, you know, guys saying this would be better if you showed us your tits, you know, things like that. And then, of course, you know, as a writer, you get, yeah, I know, <laughs> as a writer, you get people who say things, you know, like they, they want to insult your writing and things like that, or they want to insult your credibility. Um, when I first started, I would read the comments and I would respond to people. And, you know, but after a while, you know, with 260,000 subscribers, there are so many comments. I just don't read them anymore. So it's like people who say hateful things, they're just shouting into the void. I don't see it. Like I'm, it's never going to reach me. Um, but I think the number one thing to keep in mind, and this is something that I believe is universal, but it's really hard to, it's really hard to um, internalize, but try your best. The number one thing to consider is that people who go out of their way to be hateful to complete strangers, that's a, that's a, you know, a representation of them and how they feel. Because if you look at yourself, even if I see someone on YouTube that I don't like, and I'm like, oh, I can't stand that person. I have never once felt compelled to threaten them, say something nasty to them. I just stop watching the video. You know what I mean? I just move on to something else. People who feel compelled to share that hate, it's usually a reflection of how they feel about themselves. It's usually a way of, I feel very low, so I want to drag this person down. Like I said, it's still hard to see those things and it can still hurt. But, you know, I've been I've been doing this for like eight years now. It gets to a point where it's like, oh, look, another douche, you know, like it, it, <laughs> you, you get that thick alligator skin. And it over time, it really does start to resonate that it's like this is some person in their basement who wishes that they could be an author and aren't doing the work. And instead, they're trying to tear down someone who's made a fruitful career out of it. You know, like you almost have to feel bad for them. I mean, you kind of don't because they're a douche. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it's important to keep in mind that this isn't about you. It's not about you at all. It's about them. Yeah, it, they're just projecting their self-hatred onto someone who feels like an easy, almost anonymous, harmless target. Exactly. I've never felt so such hatred toward like a stranger. You know what I mean? So it's like if you have to wonder like the psychology behind someone who who feels that extreme passion toward someone they've never met and don't know much about. Um, it, it is a reflection of, you know, their own issues and their own insecurities. Would you say that's the biggest challenge you faced with your channel then, or have you faced some other challenges along the way? The hate comments, they don't bother me that much, honestly. No, I don't, I don't think that's the biggest challenge I faced with my channel. Um, the biggest challenge I faced with my career in general is time. I, I'm, you know, I'm a full-time YouTuber, I'm a full-time author, and I'm still a caregiver, you know? So for example, uh, back in May, uh, my fiance was hospitalized. And so I had to put half of my, more than half, I had to put like two thirds of my job on hold so that I could, you know, manage the hospitalization and his care. Um, so for me, I think time is the biggest issue. But if we're looking at the channel specifically, this isn't so much an issue now. But if I will be honest, like in the past, I have had, you know, like internet stalkers, I have had um, people who, you know, tried to take it, you know, one step too far. Um, and like I said, the hateful comments, they don't really bother me, especially because it's like such a small percentage compared to the love. And I want to stress that for anyone who's now scared of making a YouTube ch channel. I mean, like for every hateful comment I get, I get at least 20 positive ones. It's such a small minority. Um, but, you know, being the size that I'm at, uh, you do get some, you know, fanatics. I have had a couple stalkers, you know, and people who just, you know, really hell bent on, you know, 
trying to make noise and stuff like that. Um, that was stressful at the time, but it was also several years ago and I haven't really seen anything from them since. I mean, people like that, I think they eventually like get the idea. Oh, they, they don't care. <laughs> I'm moving on. Yeah. Hopefully that sounds yeah. scary. Yeah. I mean, fortunately it's online. It's not like people are showing up at my house or anything like that, but it's still like it puts, you know, being a public figure, there's this sense of no privacy at sometimes. And, um, it, it can get a little like, Oh my gosh, you know, I just want to, I just want to stay at my house with my man and my dog and write some books, you know? So mm-hmm. it can, it can be, it could be a little much. On a more positive note then. <laughs> right. What's your favorite part of running your channel? Oh my gosh. Um, I think it, oh man. Okay. Hmm. I'm trying to think because there are a lot of really, really great parts. Um, well, if we look at it from a business perspective, it's free marketing. I mean, every single day I get to market my books. I say, don't forget to check out the Savior's Champion and the Savior Sister. Every single day I sell books. I mean, my channel is a large part of the reason why I became a number one bestseller, why I'm able to support myself, even if the channel, I mean, Obviously, the channel is a big source of my marketing, but even if I wasn't making money from my channel, I could still support myself on uh, my book sales alone. And that's because I have such a, you know, a very obvious source of free marketing at all times. Once a week, I can just go and promote the crap out of my books. Um, but on a personal level, honestly, it is the audience participation. It is the, the fans I get. Like I said, the hate is such a small percentage. I get so many amazing messages literally on a daily basis um, from people who are so appreciative of the help who are like, you know, there's no one believes in me. No one wants to help me. And your channel has saved my book's life. And it means a lot to me because I was someone who, you know, the reason I started my channel is because I was someone who wanted to write a book. And every everyone said the same thing that they say to everyone, which is that you can't make it as a writer. You're not going to make any money, you know, it's just a, like a, a fruitless path. And, um, I didn't have really anyone. I had Cliff who was my cheerleader the whole way, but he doesn't know anything about books, you know? So I had to figure it all out by myself. So to have people come to me and say, thank you for making the process easier. You know, it makes me, it makes me feel good because I'm able to give what I didn't receive, you know, when I was just getting started and it's, it's nice to contribute to the community. It is. I agree. Getting those comments saying, oh, you helped me get back into writing or you helped me fix that problem. I don't Mm -hmm. think the people who give those comments or think those things, but don't say them to the content creator realize how much of a difference they can actually make. Oh, it makes my whole day. And I, and that's the thing is I get them all the time and it's just like, it's very, um, it's very fulfilling and humbling. And it's like, it reminds you that, yeah, it may seem frivolous. Like I'm just doing a silly YouTube channel, but it's helping people and it's nice. You know, it makes you feel good. (laughs) It does. How long roughly does each video take you to create them? What's the actual process that you go through? Well, I couldn't tell you one video because I bulk. I do I do all my videos for the month at a time. What I can say is that it is time consuming. And right now it takes me about one week to get all my content for one month ready. Um, so within that week, I am scripting. I script all my content. Um, I am editing those scripts, researching for those scripts. I film, obviously. I try and film 
at least four videos at once, but I usually try to aim for five. By the end, I have no voice and it's awful. And then I'm fortunate because I'm at a point now where I have an assistant. So I ship the videos off to her to trim them down into the proper size. Um, but back when I was doing that, that is easily the longest part of the process. That was hours and hours and hours. Once she's done trimming them down, she sends them to me, to me and I do the final like music, the overlays, the little memes and the, the little doodads as I call them. Um, and then I upload them and all of that, that whole process, it takes about a week to do. So it's, it's time consuming. And a lot of people are like, oh, I'll just film it and throw it up on YouTube. Nah, that's not how it works. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't do that because the editing is really what separates you know, a good video from one that's going to get skipped over, um, the editing. And I don't mean special, you know, pictures or little, you know, sound effects. Those are great, but just cutting out the ums, the uhs, uh, cutting out the long pauses, the awkward pauses, those things, cutting out the rambling on a, a podcast. You can leave those in because it's a different format. It's conversational on YouTube. You cannot, people will get bored and they'll move on to something else. So the editing is super important. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of the YouTubers that I've watched, they are very polished. Mm -hmm. And I have to remind myself, you know, just because they're polished on YouTube, it doesn't mean they're that polished in real life mm -hmm. or on stage or any of that. And even me with public speaking experience, I still am an R sometimes when I'm thinking. And I had to train myself out of that because it made editing the podcast easier. And then right. I found that I replaced it with different words. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I am in awe all the time. That's part of the reasons why I have to script my videos is because if I don't script them, then I'll be umming and awing the whole time. So I, I totally get it. And that's the thing is like, just because you're on for a video, doesn't mean like you're, you're that way all the time. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips for scripting videos? Because I know I've got a couple of listeners who want to set up YouTube channels or who have kind of just set up and are getting started, but they're not sure where to start in terms of the scripting. Oh, sure. Um, first and foremost, create a format. Okay. Something that people can expect with every video or almost every video. So my format is hello, everybody. And I go into my little intro. I do my, uh, you know, intro card. Um, after that, I give the shout outs that I need to, if it's a sponsor or telling people buy my books, um, telling people don't forget to subscribe. And then I go into the topic. Then I end with, so that's all I got for you today. And I go into my outro, which is, you know, reminding people about whatever, you know, buy my books, uh, follow me on social media, that sort of thing. And I say, bye, uh, create a format. It creates a sense of consistency for the viewer. So they know what to expect. Um, it also helps with your branding because then it creates a whole kind of aura and vibe around your platform. If the format you've created is not working, feel free to switch it up, you know, pay attention to what's working and what's not working. I mentioned consistency, do that with the videos as well. Um, pick a day that you are going to go to, to post your videos and, and stick with it. If you don't think that you can consistently post those videos, film a ton ahead of time, just film a ton ahead of time and then have them backlogged for, you know, each day. For example, it's October right now. I'm filming my content for November right now, you know, get, get ahead of the game because in November, who knows how busy I'll be, especially with the holidays around the corner. But those would be my biggest tips for scripting in terms of the content itself. The biggest mistake people make when they're just starting on YouTube is they open with an introduction video. Hi everyone, my name's Jenna Moresi. Here's all about me. This is your very first video. You are essentially nobody on YouTube. No one knows who you are. So 
not to be mean, but why would anyone, <laughs> why would anyone care? You know, like there, no one's going to stumble across your channel and be like, oh, a strange woman or person or man, you know, I'm going to watch their introduction. It makes no sense. Don't do that. Don't open with that. You start with content people want, you know, start with something that actually benefits people. My very first video was why I chose to self-publish. That's something that people wanted to know, not because of me, but because other people want to know, should I self-publish or traditionally publish? Start with the content people want, start to accumulate an audience. And then once you have, you know, about a thousand followers or more, that's when you can start being like, oh, by the way, Here's about me. Here's who I am. Because once you've accumulated an audience and they're loyal and they're watching your content, that's when they're actually going to start to care about who you are. But first you got to open with what they want. You know, you are providing a service. So serve. How do you come up with all of your ideas? Because they're considerably better than some of the other writing related ones I've seen. And they've got, (laughs) it's the angle that you come up with for some of them as well my brain's completely blanked for example um yay fibro <laughs> but I can't even tell you which of your videos I found oh no it was Sasha Black's video actually that I found first and then I fell down a rabbit hole watching your videos <laughs> because it's just like it's valuable information and I appreciate people who are straight talking you know Thank you. Well, before I get into the question, that's part of the reason why I started the channel, aside from all the peer pressure (laughs) from (laughs) from people. But um, it's I feel like it's so hard to get straightforward advice. I'm one of those people where it's like, I don't want you to beat around the bush. I don't want the flowery crap. Just answer the freaking question. You know, like I, I, I want you to get to the point. And I feel like it was so hard to find that content. So that's how I talk. Some people don't like it. Some people think it's, you know, kind of bitchy but I don't don't care do you find that people struggle with the way you speak and how straight talking you are because you're female yes short answer I mean like if you look at people like uh the only name I can think of is Gary V I mean he's very straight talking he's very blunt he's far more blunt than I am and people worship him for it you know I do think it's because I'm a woman because the only people who well not the only people but the main demographic who seem to have uh trouble with the way I talk are usually middle-aged men you know I'm not being ladylike I'm just not being ladylike guys um how dare you yeah, I know. Gosh, got to get back to the kitchen. But yeah, um, I don't care because, you know, they don't they don't need to read my books. You know, <laughs> it's fine. Like you, I'll, I'll keep writing for the people that I'm writing for and you don't have to watch my channel if you don't want to. But anywho. Um, oh, my gosh. What was the question that you asked before? <laughs> How do you come up with your ideas? (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Well, first it was, you know, just from all the questions I would get asked back when I was critiquing, I had a blog, the sort of questions that people would submit to me, that's what I would make videos on. Um, After that, now it's looking for trends in my content. So I go through my videos every six months and I see what content is doing well, what content not so much. For example, I found that people much prefer the, for obviously the, funny videos, the tropes, the worst tropes and the best tropes, they prefer that. And they prefer uh, more uh, general writing advice, like how to write a first chapter, how to write a climax, how to write a kiss scene, things that are a bit more general. Whereas the business videos, you know, how to create an audio book, how to save money um, and budget for a cover artist, things like that, they don't perform as well. Um, So I gear my channel toward what my audience is telling me that they prefer 
And then when it comes to coming up with ideas, I just feel like there are so many different facets of the writing in, in journey and the industry and publishing and marketing and outlining all of that. There's so much to talk about that I just feel like I never run out of ideas. I literally have a list on my um, desktop of over 150 future video ideas. And anytime I think of something else, I just slap another one on there. I also get uh, recommendations from my patrons over on Patreon. Um, in one of my tiers, you can recommend videos. And if I like one of your topics, I'll dedicate the video to you. Um, the video I just posted was all about writing enemies to lovers. And that was recommended by one of my patrons. So yeah, I find that it's easy to come up with ideas, one, because I've been writing my whole life. So I know where all the struggles are. And two, because, you know, pay attention to your audience and see what what they want you to talk about and then talk about it. Do you use a research tool like TubeBuddy to help? That was submitted by our um, listener, Tim. I used to, and then I got a new laptop and I don't think TubeBuddy came through with it, but I didn't notice because I, <laughs> that's how seldom I was using it. So I'm, I do think it's valuable to a lot of people but I think that I've been doing this for so long that I kind of picked up on how to do it myself. Also, on top of that, um, I do have a background in business, and that has helped me a lot with building my platform, with marketing my work, and um, paying attention to trends. I'm just sort of like a natural uh, data analyzer, you know. So I I pay attention to my work, and it makes uh, you know things like TubeBuddy not as necessary, but I can see how it would be extremely necessary and helpful for a lot of people. What about your titles? Because YouTube has a particular style of title compared to mm -hmm. something like a blog post or even a social media post. It's, I don't know how to describe the YouTube style, but it's, well, you've got to get people's attention, right? You've got to make mm -hmm. them click. How do you do that? Um, the key is looking for keywords. Now you can look those up. There are websites that will show you keywords and that's very helpful. But again, if you've been doing it for a while, you start to remember what the keywords are. When you're making videos that are geared toward, you know, a, a niche, like in this case, writers, you have to be thinking less about clickbait and more about what are they typing in? What are they typing into Google? What are they typing into YouTube? So for example, if you make a video all about how to write a first chapter and there's lots of, I don't know, I'm trying to think of it. There are lots of alien jokes in it, okay? Let's just say lots of alien jokes. You can't just title it, I was abducted by aliens because that's clickbaity. It's not going to get you the right audience. It'll get you a bunch of people who are really into aliens, but no one who gives a crap about first chapters. You, you can't just stick with the clickbait thing give the title whatever is most relevant to the topic. So in this case, it would be like how to write your, the first chapter, how, you know, tips for writing a first chapter. Then we look into keywords. So first chapter might not be the best keyword, but book is a great keyword. Anyone who's writing a book is going to be typing the word book. Another great keyword for writers is writer and writing, like the most basic words you can think of. So tips for writing, there we go, keyword, a first chapter, of a book, you know, so you're, so you're getting those keywords in there. You're making it super obvious what the video is about so that you are tracking the right people. And that's something that someone would realistically type into Google. How do I write the first chapter of, of a book? So you're targeting the right people. And then if you want to add the clickbait appeal, if you want to catch people's attention, that's why a lot of my videos say 10 best tips, 
10 worst tips, uh, 10 worst tropes, things like that. People love, for example, lists. They love a countdown and best worst that creates intrigue that creates, Ooh, this might get a little juicy. This might get a little, you know, crazy. Those are the things to look into. Another example of this is if you're talking about something that is very popular, you know, like utilize that. For example, I knew someone who made a video all about the Hunger Games and they didn't put Hunger Games in the title of the video. They they put a clickbaity title based on the jokes from the video that they thought would get them more clicks. It's like Hunger Games is one of the most popular young adult books out there. You should have put Hunger Games in the title. So think about what people are going to be looking up and use that. (laughs) Circling back to actually being on camera, because you mentioned that you were initially uncomfortable on camera and didn't like the idea of it. Mm -hmm. How did you get comfortable doing videos? It's just over time. You just get used to it at a certain point. I would say for the first two years, I was still get nervous before uploading a video. Now I don't care. <laughs> like, it's just like, whatever, upload it, go to work. Well, this is my job, so maybe not <laughs> go to work. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, you just get used to it, you know? And at the end of the day, you're just talking to yourself. <laughs> you know, you're just talking to a camera. It, it, it's super awkward at first. And everyone always says, oh, I couldn't do YouTube because I'm not comfortable in front of the camera. It's like, do you think I was when I first started? Like, it was crazy uncomfortable for me. I felt so stupid. You feel dumb because you're talking to yourself. But like I said, it, it was it was maybe like a year before I felt comfortable in front of the camera, maybe longer. And like two years before I felt comfortable posting. It, it, t- it took a long time, but you get there and you, you, you won't know if you'll ever get there unless you give it a shot. And no, well, I won't say no one, but most people do not feel comfortable out of the gate. So if you think it's not for you, I thought the same and here I am. Yeah, I started out doing public speaking from a really young age. And when the pandemic hit, I was like, well, I can't go on stage now. I can't do poetry readings. I I felt lost because I couldn't Uh go and teach courses in person. I couldn't read my poetry. And I was like, well, my only other option is video. But it was like full on panic attack inducing, causing my fibro to flare up and my fatigue to flare up and everything. That's how much my body was trying to stop me from going on camera. Mm -hmm. I would literally be practically falling asleep in front of my computer before I hit record. And then as soon as I was recording, I was absolutely fine. Really? I was in that kind of state of flow of just focusing on delivering the content and the advice and stuff. So I didn't Mm -hmm. have the brain capacity to think about like, does my hair look okay? Um, You know, how's my makeup? Is my background okay? And blah, 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 blah. And just feeling all this self-conscious. I'm like, okay, I just need to deliver the best possible writing advice that I can. I love that. Yeah. It's funny because when I first started, I would just film, I would, I would literally repeat every line like five times. So I'd be like, hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hello. Because I was like, well, one of them's got to be good. Like I, one of them has to. And that's what I did when I first got started because I, you know, I'm just, uh, I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm a better writer than I am a speaker or verbal communicator. So I was like, I will just film every line a million times. So my first few videos, like the raw footage would be like an hour long and I'd be there trimming it down. Now it's not like that. You know, I would hope so. Cause I've been doing this for a long time, but yeah, like it, it's really scary at first. I literally almost threw up the first time I posted a video. It's really scary. And if you are intimidated, that is 
completely normal. You're not, you know, some weirdo. It's just, it's normal. It's uncomfortable. You're putting yourself on the internet. You know, it's weird. It's a sign you're doing something that you care about as well. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of a positive thing in a way as well. Right. Exactly. And also like, you know, they say great things never came from your comfort zone. You know, I I don't believe in like extending yourself to the point of harm, but like sometimes you just gotta, you know, give it a shot. You just got to try it and see if it works for you, you know? And I mean, like, like I said, give, I thought never in a million years I would do this. And now it's the reason that I get to do what I love as a career. I, my goal was to be able to write as a side gig. Cause I never thought I would be able to support myself from it. And now I'm a best-selling writer, you know, like, and it's because I, I created a YouTube channel, which helped me gain my readership, you know? So sometimes you just got to give it a shot. Yeah, because you never know what's going to come from it. But at the very least, you're going to learn some new skills along the way. And they're always valuable. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't work out, at least you tried and you don't have that question mark. You don't have that what if lingering because, you know, I tried blogging and now I know that it was not for me. You know what I mean? Like you, you, I tried it and I know that I didn't really enjoy it, you know, And, and now I don't have to wonder. Yeah, I started the writer's cookbook in 2014 and it was probably 2019. I started to think, I'm not sure if I want to keep doing this. And even though I had a background in student radio, I won an award for doing student radio. I still wow. didn't have the confidence to create a podcast, even though it was what I'd wanted to do since leaving school, school, mm-hmm. university. <laughs> what am I saying? School. <laughs> it was only when I started to talk about it with my co-host Ellie that I thought, yeah, maybe I can do this. Maybe we can create something really great. And having the moral support of Ellie, who can obviously pick up the slack when I'm not doing too well and she does the show notes and stuff, it does really make a difference. But also it makes me Mm -hmm. think, why didn't I do this sooner? Because doing the interviews and stuff is really fun. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I was working that job that I hated in finance and I was writing the book on the side and doing the blog. And it's kind of like, you know, if I had just started the YouTube channel sooner, I could have quit that job sooner, you know, but uh, hey, at least we're here now. Right. You know, you got to do it at some point. Exactly. And it's funny, the amount of people I speak to who say, yeah, I started out on a boring corporate job and now I'm an author. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, there is a pattern there. I've got to admit, I don't know if I'm missing a trick because I don't have a corporate background. Also, <laughs> I don't want a corporate background. I'm going to stick yeah. to being creative and then yeah. just absorb information from other people instead. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I support that, that, uh, path. Yeah. It's funny. Cause Sasha Black had, has a similar background to me, you know, boring corporate job. And I think, I think what it is, is that for a lot of people, we are expected to follow a certain path. I know I was, you know, my parents were very proud of me, you know, being a stockbroker. They're, you know, little girl in this male dominated, very competitive field. Um, they were very proud and, uh, we, we follow the path that we think we're supposed to take. And then we get, there especially with creatives we get there and we're like oh my gosh I'm gonna die like I cannot take this this is horrible and you think like it'll be fine because that's what everyone's doing but not everyone functions and works the same you know and creatives you know we want to create and it's not fun you know being a cog in someone else's machine and so I think that's why a lot of people who are like I started out a corporate and now I'm a full-time author it's you know they got that fire under their ass where it's like okay I can't do this for the rest of my life I have to make something happen for myself and then we did <laughs> yeah I think 
something I've noticed as well is it's a lot of people who often have mental health issues or they are neurodiverse and they Mm -hmm. find that the corporate world just does not cater to them. So they've got to be able to stand on their own. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's another thing for me. I mean, I'm on the autism spectrum. I wasn't diagnosed until I was an adult because I'm a woman and that's how it works with uh, uh, neurodiverse women. And it's funny because at this point, you know, now I'm 34, like almost every creative woman I know either has ADHD or ASD, <laughs> almost all of them, you know? And it's just funny because I can see the signs now in a woman, but it's like the doctors can't because they're not behaving like Sheldon from, you know, uh, Big Bang Theory. Like they're not behaving like a stereotype. But yeah, like, uh, the, the, like you were saying, the corporate environment, it's just it's really not conducive for, you know, creative people, for people who are neurodivergent. It's not conducive. Like I have PTSD and anxiety. Um, it is not conducive for any of that. I mean, I made it work. They, you know, no one at my workplace knew that I had PTSD or, or, um, or ASD. I didn't know either. (laughs) So that's probably why you make it work, but it's just not healthy long-term and being, yeah, being a writer and essentially owning my own business. There's obviously stressful facets to it, um, but it's so much more rewarding because it's mine and I'm in control and I'm the boss and I'm doing what I've wanted to do since I was six years old, you know, which is tell stories. Yeah, I agree. I, I kind of have this internal battle at the moment where it's like, younger me is going this is what you wanted to do and then present me is like I don't know what I'm doing and kind of trying to feel like I'm vaguely in control Mm -hmm. and I think it's just my brain not liking change but knowing it's necessary so this just internal war wages out on a regular basis because it's either nothing changes or it's like waking up and getting onto a roller coaster every day and then the first few meters of track you can see and beyond that is just pitch black. So you've no idea what direction you're going in and quite scary. I could not relate more. <laughs> I just, it, I, it's so scary. And that's the thing is that I'm not crazy about change, but that's the only way that you, you know, get to this point, you have to make these big changes. And it's funny because I have transitioned from that from, you know, oh my gosh, this is terrifying. I don't know what I'm doing to now being a hyper control freak to the point where I'm very hard for me to delegate and, you know, let go of certain jobs. Like it took Cliff months of hounding me, Jenna, you have too much work to do. Get an assistant, get an assistant. I'm like, but I have to do everything myself. I can't trust anyone else. But now I have my assistant. She's amazing. She's like an angel from heaven. Like she, oh, I love her so much. And um, it, it was just so hard. And I would just give her little things at a time. Like, okay, like just slowly, you know, handing off the reins because I get so used to like, I have it in order. I have it in control. And I'm very picky and precise. I like things done a certain way, but you know, you, you eventually learn to, to let it go. And, you know, I'm still working on it though. With the assistant, I trust her completely and she can do what she wants, but there are other things, other parts of the job where I'm like, uh, I might need to hire someone for this, or I might need to hire someone for that. And I'm like, Oh no, will they, will they do as good a job as me? You know, like I, I, I tend to believe that no one cares about your success more than you do. Um, so there's always that fear. It's like, are they going to care enough to do a good job? So that's my, that's my battle right now. Oh yeah. I, uh, can relate to that. What tips would you have for someone who is feeling camera shy, but wants to do video either live or pre-recorded? 
I would start with pre-recorded because then you can mess up as much as you want and it's not a big deal. Look into the camera, not the picture. If you have the kind of camera that shows your face, don't stare into your eyes, stare at the lens. Okay. Because otherwise it's your, people are going to see that you're staring down, you know, there or, or to the left or the right, stare straight into the camera. Figure out if, if if scripting or going natural is a better uh, you know version for you. Some people, when they script, they just sound clunky and horrible by the time they go to present. Other people, when they don't script, they just ramble like me. So I, I you know figure out which which version works best for you. Um, if you do script, don't read from the script. Um, what I do is I keep the script close by and to refresh myself, and I'll like read the next few lines that I have to say, and then I will speak them into the camera. I don't read straight from the script. So don't do that. It'll be really, really obvious that you're reading. It won't sound natural. If you do script, um, script in your talking voice, don't script in your writing voice. The way I write is not the same as the way I speak. Um, I script as if I'm speaking and I even, uh, you know, speak out loud what I'm writing. And that helps me to get a flow of how I, how I normally speak. My last tip, and it's probably the most important one, embrace and accept that you're going to suck at least at first. <laughs> it's, it's inevitable. You're get you're new to this. You're camera shy. The first few videos are going to be garbage. It's fine. Okay. My first few videos have long since been unlisted, you know, thank God. But you want to know something? They were garbage. They were nothing compared to where they are now. Okay. So just accept that it's going to be crap at first. Think of it like writing a rough draft. It's called rough for a reason. The first draft is the worst draft. Okay. You're going to get better over time. So let, let go of the pressure to be perfect because you are not going to be perfect. It's just not going to happen. So just allow yourself to suck. Just be okay with it. Jenna gives you permission. Okay. So suck away. Wow. That did not sound the way I intended. So <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> you do know that's being left and right. <laughs> it's too, no, I can cut it out if you want. It's just so funny. <laughs> no, it's fine. I don't care. It's up to you. <laughs> oh, that, that, that's part of the appeal of my channel. And the funny thing is it's like never intended. It's just that's what I do. Okay, cool. Yeah. Jenna putting her foot in her mouth again. <laughs> oh, we've done it. Um, I mean, I think back to some of our videos, we've experimented mostly with either scripting it or doing bullet points. And definitely when we scripted it, it was a lot harder for it to just feel natural, which was mm -hmm. really hard for me because when I was writing notes for the podcast, I'd usually transcribe them not transcribe them, dictate them, sorry. And so it already came out in prose. And then my brain didn't know how to turn that prose into bullet points. Mm -hmm. And so we actually started shrinking down the um, bullet points so that they were just trigger points. Like, okay, we need to talk about this. Mm -hmm. And I find that a lot easier because you can just glance at it and then carry on looking at the camera rather than just staring at your screen be like I've got to read this I've got to read this and the only thing we properly script is the intro and outro and I changed a couple of words in the outro the other day and Ellie told me off because she'd finally <laughs> memorized the outro and I changed it that's so funny yeah it's funny because when I when I do something live like uh um if I'm doing you know 
certain podcast interviews or if I'm doing a live stream where we have a very specific topic, I will do just that. I will do the bullet points. I, you know, I cannot script it if it's live. And I think it, it um, doesn't matter as much because it's supposed to be conversational. So if it's supposed to be conversational, if you're speaking with another person, I think bullet points are always the way to go. I think personally, like for a podcast, I don't think it really should ever be scripted in terms of like the whole thing, unless you're like reading a story. It's one of those kind of, you know, podcasts. And of course, intros and outros. Everyone I know scripts their intros and outros. When it comes to YouTube though, that's when you kind of got to see where you fall because I do know people who don't do bullet points and their videos are fabulous. And then I know people who do bullet points and they turn into me and just repeat themselves over and over and over again. And I'm like, honey, no, that's why I, that's why I don't do that for YouTube because I'm just going to be a, a, you know, a broken record. So I got, I got to script mine, but it, it completely depends on the person. Yeah. Everyone has their own kind of rhythm and style that they fall mm-hmm. into but you only discover what that is by putting the practice in and experimenting exactly that's why i say you have to allow yourself that time to suck because you're, you're not going to know what you're good at or you know where your groove is until you you do it a few times you just you know you gotta fall off the bicycle a few times it's just how it goes yeah sorry about it it's painful but it's necessary right <laughs> I spoke to paranormal romance author Lee Savino a few weeks ago, and she actually said she prefers people's earlier books compared to their later ones because they're not as polished and sometimes their voice is stronger. It's a little bit rough around the edges, but you can Mm -hmm. still kind of feel their passion for what they're doing. And I actually found that quite inspiring and almost I imagine it must be reassuring from an earlier point of view because it's like, well, not everyone's going to hate your first book just because you end up hating your first book five years later. Not talking from personal experience or anything. (laughs) Yeah, I love that outlook. And I've seen that in YouTube too. You see a lot of people say things like, well, I liked their earlier videos better. Um, And sometimes it's because they feel like they're being more real. um, And sometimes that could be the case that they're being more real. Or sometimes it's just because they didn't know how to edit their videos yet. (laughs) So you're seeing all their mistakes and flubs and stuff like that. So I mean, like, you know, real is kind of a subjective in that sense. But yeah, that's another thing is, you know, your first few videos might be the ones people like the best because they're all messed up and, you know, and like laugh at it. Like, uh, the video I just released, I'm, uh, dressed as a hot dog as one does. And, um, my, my assistant, you know, trims all the content. And I was like feeling so embarrassed in this hot dog costume. Like, Oh my gosh, I look so stupid. And I tend to talk to my assistant through my videos because I know she's going to see them and trim it down. So I'm saying all these jokes to her and the hot dog costume of like about how it's got this little hole for my face. And I'm like, I feel like I'm being birthed, you know, and I'm telling all this stuff to her and just, you know, joking around. And then when she sent it back to me, she's like, I'm sorry, I kept the jokes because they were just too funny, you know, and I left them in for the intro and that's what everyone's commenting on. They're like, oh my gosh, Jenna, you're, you're such a goof. You know, people, people like that. They don't, they, you know, you know they, they want you to be real and raw and stuff. And if me being real is telling my assistant, my parents must be so ashamed of me. I'm a professional hot dog, you know, it's, it's fun. So don't, don't take yourself too seriously when you're getting started. You're allowed to, you're allowed to make mistakes or be a hot dog, I guess. Be a giant sausage. How did the costumes for October (laughs) come about? Just out of curiosity, because you've literally just said you're embarrassed wearing them, but you do it anyway. (laughs) So the uh, costumes for October, I think in 
I don't know how it started at all. Um, I think in one, I think I started doing like for the Halloween video, I'd wear a costume and I let people vote. And I remember one time I let people vote between pirate or cat and a tide. So I split the video between pirate and cat and people loved it. They just went nuts. So then I was like, I'll do that every year for the Halloween video. And I, I like um, ha- doing Halloween makeup. So sometimes I would do a creepy skeleton face or something like that. And then eventually it evolved into just wearing costumes through the whole month. I actually really enjoy it and I'm not normally embarrassed. It was just the hot dog because I had never worn that one before. It was a new costume and it was so stuffy and hot in there. I was sweating and the hole for my face was so small and I couldn't move my head. And I just remember sitting there thinking, this is the life I have chosen. <laughs> like I am, I, I I start the video with this is what a six-figure author looks like because I'm just sitting there like thinking I am an award-winning six-figure author and I am dressed as a hot dog talking about how to write enemies to lovers. Like what is my life, you know? So sometimes the costumes are you know super fun, and then sometimes they give you an existential crisis, basically. <laughs> I mean, people can relate to that and it makes you more human when you're having an existential crisis in a hot dog costume. Exactly. And I mean, like people went nuts for that video. So for me, it's worth it. And the way I see it is like, I'm not above making fun of myself if it makes other people laugh. Like it's all it's all in good fun. It's YouTube. It's not serious. You know, do you think people sometimes do take it too seriously? And that's why stuff doesn't take off the ground. Yes, absolutely. And that's the thing is, uh, I know a lot of people starting YouTube channels, you know, I have a, a exclusive writing group on Patreon. I know a lot of people who start YouTube channels in there and they're really like, oh my gosh, like, you know, like, I don't want this to destroy my career. It's like, it's just YouTube, you know, it's, 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 it's literally, you're just talking on the internet. There are YouTube channels devoted to pranks. There are YouTube channels devoted to opening plastic packages. You know, there's ASMR, like there's just, it's not that serious, you know? And um, unless you get, you know, a million subscribers, the odds of it destroying your career are slim to none, unless you have this huge platform and then you're caught up in a huge scandal. You know what I mean? Like you gotta relax. And I know that's easy for me to say at this point. And when I first started, I was not relaxed. It was super scary, but I do think, I do think people take it too seriously and that prevents them from being authentic. It prevents them from being relatable and it prevents them from producing honest content because they are trying so hard to give people what they think they want as opposed to just relaxing and, you know, what, what do I have to offer? What do I have to provide? And how can I be the best version of myself? Just take it from that point first, you know, calm down. It's yeah. not that big a deal. Yeah. I, I know some people who struggle with video or even social media in general, because they're worried about how posting on it could impact their career in the future like if it could reflect on them negatively and mm-hmm. I kind of feel like if it's going to reflect on you negatively you probably said something you shouldn't in which case you need to reassess your values in the first place I was just about to say if it's going to reflect on you negatively in the future then maybe you said something bigoted you know like I mean I you know and if that's the case you've got bigger problems than will this affect my career you've got problems like am I a decent human being it's just Twitter or it's just Facebook it's just Instagram if you post a picture of your dog or if you say I watched Squid Game it was great that's not going to reflect negatively on your career like so if you if you have to overanalyze it then you know maybe maybe the issue isn't the tweet itself but the intention behind it 
Yeah. And I think the other thing is people overthink their ideas. One of my most recent blog posts on my author blog was about Egyptian mummies and the weird facts I found doing my research for The Mummy's <laughs> Curse. And it's one of my most popular blog posts on my author blog because it's just so weird. And <laughs> I found more facts to add to it. So now I've got to decide, do I add to that blog post? Or do I spin it off and do another one about how fucking crazy the Victorians were? Because <laughs> that then turned into a rabbit hole about the weird stuff that the Victorians did and their obsession with Egyptian mummies. And <laughs> I ended up including Victorians and Egyptian mummies in my books, not knowing that they were related. Oh, wow. I know. And because I did do research up front, but I researched them separately. Mm-hmm. And most of my research comes for the Victorians comes from alien sources she gives me because she has a degree in um, history. Mm-hmm. And then I fell down the YouTube rabbit hole of like how Egyptians would use would like grind up mummies and then paint their walls with mummies. <laughs> Hello, editing Christina here, just chiming in to let you know that I meant to say the Victorians were the ones who painted their walls with mummies, not the Egyptians. That would be weird. Weirder. And there's actually a shade called Mummy Brown. Oh my god! It's a shade of Egyptian mummies. It gets weirder, but I might leave it there for today. Uh- <laughs> and see, this is the kind of content people want, you know? Like, it's yeah. just... And then people are overthinking it. Like, oh my gosh, like, should I write about this? It's like, who cares? You know, come on. My most popular video is the 10 worst female character tropes. I didn't go into that thinking like, is this going to do well? I was just tired of reading about certain female characters, you know? So I made a video about it. It's just, it's not that deep guys. Like this is, this is all in good fun. And that's also a thing I feel like people forget when creating their writer platform in general, it's supposed to be fun. You're writing books because it's, fun you enjoy it it's not that deep like you know have a good time so get out of your head if you're not kind of business or marketing inclined I can certainly see why the thought of posting on social media or doing email marketing or creating videos for YouTube can be terrifying but like you say it is meant to be fun and it's almost an extension of your books like me and the mummy blog post or the weird Victorian stuff that I've found if you already know this stuff then it's a lot easier to talk about I completely agree and um, for me having a background in business has helped significantly and also helps that I really enjoy that I'm one of the weird people like a lot of people they're either good at English and history or math and science I'm good at English and math (laughs) so I've got the half and half there Um, and I enjoy the, I enjoy finance. I enjoy the money math. I enjoy looking at my stats and my trends and sales and things like that. I enjoy the business side of being a writer and I know not everyone will, and that's fine. Um, but there are so many, you know, resources available to get better at that side. And as you improve with the business side of things, the more comfortable you will get with it, the more comfortable you will get with it, the less um, freaked out you'll be about every little decision you make, you know, because you, you, you know, you, you've gotten into your rhythm, you've gotten into the groove. That takes time, but you've got to allow yourself that space for it to happen, right? 
Right. That's why I always encourage people start your platform years before you plan to release the book, because it's going to take you a while to learn all that, those business skills and marketing skills. It's going to take you even longer than that to um, grow an audience. And you need all that stuff before the book comes out, because if you release the book and then you start that stuff, it's an uphill climb. It is a, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to get those sales in if you start everything after the fact. Oh yeah. Yeah, I did that. Oh, no. I did it for my fiction, not my nonfiction. Um, mm-hmm. And my fiction took off three years after I published the first book. Hey, at um, least it took off. Well, yeah. Yeah, there is that. And it took mm-hmm. off because I did Mark Dawson's um, ads for authors and I made the first book perma-free. And because oh, that nice. first book was perma-free and I happened to make it perma-free right as everyone was going on their summer holidays. Ooh, smart. And then there was already four books out in the series. That's why it went nuts. But obviously that model kind of doesn't really work anymore because no one can go on summer holiday. <laughs> oh, that's true. I was like, wow, that's a great idea. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, not no the same. Let's talk about you then. Um, okay. <laughs> one question we ask everyone is what's one book that changed your life? I should add the caveat. No one ever really says one book, even though we specify one book. <laughs> I will say one book because I'm okay. I'm going to, this is going to make me sound like such a dick, but I'm just being honest. I've wanted to be a writer since I was six years old. I'm a control freak and I've been one since I was six years old. And one of the, the reason I've wanted to be a writer since I was a child is because I like telling stories. I was a voracious reader and this is where the dickness comes into play, but I'm a voracious reader and I love reading, but I always, ever since I was a kid, I would read it and be like, well, if I wrote it, it would go like this instead. Like I'm just that nitpicky and I'll be like, it'll be something as simple as, well, I would have given the princess brown hair. You know what I mean? Like, and I've always been like that. So even though I really enjoy reading, it's always like there's a wall in some situation or some sense because I want to change the story. And that's that's why I like storytelling is it allows me to be a control freak. The story gets to go however I want it to go. That's why I have one book that changed my life. And it was in the fourth grade. I read Ella Enchanted, um, which is a very uh, famous Cinderella retelling. That was the first and maybe the only book I've read in my entire life where I just got completely invested, just like everything that was happening. I was here for it. I was just like, I remember I finished the book. My mom, we had to run errands and it was nighttime and I had, and, and she, I was with her in the car and I was finishing the book. I insisted on turning the car light on because it was pitch black and I was just, I had to finish the book. I was so invested in that story. I just loved it with every fiber of my being. And I just remember thinking, this is how I want to make people feel when I write books. This is how I want to make people feel once I become an author. And that's how it inspired me because even though I really love reading and I'm constantly reading, I've got my bookshelf behind me with all of my TBR and everything. It's very hard for me to get fully invested because I can't turn the writer brain off. I can't turn the little like, oh, I noticed you forgot a comma or, oh, that's a shift in you know character perspective. I can't turn that side of my brain off. This is the only book I've ever read that I was able to do that with. One of my uh, fans, Aria, got me a signed copy of Ella Enchanted because I mentioned it on my channel and I cried. I like bawled like a baby. Um, that just that book just meant a lot to me because it showed me this is how people are supposed to feel when they read. This is probably how a lot of people feel when they read. And I just never had that experience. And it taught me basically what to aim for with my own fiction. So yeah. 
That's so cool. I love that you got a signed copy of it. I know. And it was sent by one of my uh, subscribers and it's just, oh my gosh, like I have it on display in my bookshelf and it's just, it's very, very special to me. So if our listeners want to join you for some more writing advice, where can they find you and your books, of course? Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, My channel is youtube.com slash Jenna Moresi, or you could type in writing with Jenna Moresi in the search bar and all pop up. So that's the most obvious place. You can go to my website, jennamoresi.com. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and of course, BookBub. And if you want to check out my books, if you like adult fantasy with, you know, lots of action, adventure, stabby stab, kissy kiss, smoochy smooch, it's, it's, you know, dark fantasy, action, and romance, um, check out The Savior's Champion and its companion novel, The Savior's Sister. They're available wide, so you can get them at all major retailers. Obviously, you can get them on Amazon, but you can also get it at Barnes & Noble and, you know, Indigo and all that stuff. It's available in hardback, ebook, paperback, and audiobook. And the third book in the series, The Savior's Army, is on its way, so stay tuned. Ooh, exciting times. I know. I'm very, very excited. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a really fun chat and I hope everyone has found it super helpful as well. Thank you. I've loved being here. Did you find this episode enlightening? Then don't forget to hit that shiny, shiny subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. Or if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to hit like and subscribe. It helps other writers find our videos and lets us know what kind of content you want more of. And you can support us over on Patreon for less than your favorite coffee a month. We have some super exciting things coming up and patrons will be the first to take part. So do come and join us for even more support to achieve your writing goals. Visit patreon.com forward slash writers mindset to join our gang today. See you next time. Keep writing. Thank you.